0: Welcome to Art Matters, I'm Farron Gibson. If this is your first time listening to this series, where have you been? This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Check us out at ArtUK.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ArtUK.org, spelling out the word dot. It's a project that does what it says on the tin, Art on the Underground. They're part of Transport for London, affectionately known as TFL, which handles up to five million journeys per day. It's a massive platform for the artists and for exploring the potential impact of public artworks.
1: Art on the Underground started in its current form in around about the year 2000, and it came out of a desire to use unused spaces, particularly one space, which is the disused platform at Gloucester Road Station to exhibit art and that was a real sort of focal point for that for those early early days evolving the program and from that one platform the program has really evolved and spread across the cities
0: that's Eleanor Penfield
1: head of art on the underground see around about 2003-2004 some really exciting projects coming through including a quite impactful well-remembered project with the great artist Cindy Sherman who did a series of portraits along the Gloucester Road arches Followed up by some wonderful works, including a light installation by David Batchelor, a great project by Brian Griffiths which involved some giant panda heads, some really interesting uses of space that happened around that platform. But as I said, it then started to evolve. Really, the, the appetite grew and the ambition grew of the programme. Um, and those early pioneers of the programme did was start moving it, moving it around London, bringing it to more, many more people.
0: Even though Art in the Underground began in its current iteration 18 years ago, there's a long history of artist collaborations with the Tube in the 20th century. Speaking of long histories, it's important to note that the London Underground is the world's oldest Underground Railway, established in 1863. The trains were originally powered by steam locomotives, if you can imagine such a hot and polluted situation. From the 1890s, the advent of new printing techniques led to the commissioning of some of the underground's iconic graphic posters. And then from the 1930s, the artist collaborations began to increase. And that really
1: came from a particularly visionary managing director who was called Frank Pick in the early 20th century. So he was also the marketing promotional manager in the 1910s and became the managing director in the 1920s. And he... Was a very unusual man, but really saw the value of great art, great architecture, designers, craftspeople, what they could bring to mechanised structures, to to infrastructure. So he he had a very sort of visionary approach that artists should be involved and himself had very good connections with the art schools and other areas. So was able to sort of push this through in in a really quite incredible way. So when you look at the 1910s, you'll see some amazing and beyond 20s, 30s, you'll see some amazing posters that he commissioned artists to do from, from the great, you know, great artists of the day, very avant-garde artists, you know, from Man Ray, Mona nagy Laszlo, from the Bauhaus, um, really exciting artists of the era.
0: Frank Pick also quite literally wove art into the fabric of the underground by commissioning artists to create the durable seat coverings for trains known as maquette. Designs came from artists like Enid Marks, who was also a painter and has works in the compton Verney collection. Further to this, there's an even more important commission by Pick that's still in use today.
1: He asked a great calligrapher, a man called Edward Johnston, to create a new font for him, which is the font that we still use today. And Johnston also created the roundel, which is the very famous symbol, the red circle and blue line of London Underground. So he was using artists and craftspeople to really bring what what has become absolutely synonymous with London Underground.
0: Public artworks are an integral part of what art on the Underground do today. Even here, Frank Pick was an early pioneer. Often, when people are interested in the history of art on the
1: Underground, I point them back to St James's Park Station, which has a building above it called 55 Broadway, which has been the historic headquarters of London Underground. And around the edge of that building, you can see works um, commissioned by Frank Pick and the architect for that building, Charles Holden, from um, Henry Moore in his first public sculpture, first public oh, commission, wow. yep, yeah, this is up around the building, and Jacob Epstein, the great American artist that came to live in the UK, mm-hmm. and Eric Gill. Um, so you're you're seeing very interesting artists of that period being commissioned by London Underground. And I often like to reference that point as well, because it seems... They were such interesting and exciting artists. They were very, they were the avant garde at that time and they caused some consternation, possibly to some people. The Jacob Epstein's, for example, on the edge of the building have been considered, I think there was a minor outcry that they were obscene when they were first introduced because there's a small naked child on, on one of the pieces. But they are amazing works that have really, you know, maintained their importance to this day, and obviously there's such an interesting art history around them. So it's a real kind of touchstone period, that that early 20th century era.
0: Fast forwarding from Pick's era, we see the commissioning of a famous work in what is now London's 12th busiest station.
1: I'm sure many people will be familiar with the great mosaic works from Eduardo Paolozzi, which are at Tottenham Court Road, and they were commissioned in the late 70s and were finished in 1986 when, when the station opened. Uh, so you you have a sort of interesting era in the 70s and 80s as well where large expansive works were commissioned around um, stations.
0: Paolozzi's mosaics were completed in 1986 and have since been moved and adjusted to accommodate the growing tube service though 95 percent of the work still survives. If you hop on the northern line from Tottenham Court Road you can find another great piece completed in the 1970s. There
1: were the works by David Gentleman at Charing Cross station which uh, sort of medieval woodcut stuff, works that point to the history of that area of where there was an Eleanor Cross this medieval mark in the centre of the city.
0: Coming back to present day, Art on the Underground is made up of a small, dedicated team, including curators, producers and project managers.
1: Together we conceive and deliver the whole programme.
0: We take a, a
1: curatorial approach to working with artists, so we select artists for our commissions, where we think their work will sit within that particular opportunity. And we do very much do site-specific commissioning. So for us, it's thinking about the site, be that architectural sense of the space, the site line, but also the social environment of that space. You know, what people might be doing as they're passing by. Is it somewhere where people are dwelling? Is it somewhere where people have only got a few seconds? And it's, it's almost competing with advertising in that way. So we think very much about the opportunity of the commission and we're very experienced with artists work and do a lot of research in terms of artists that we want to work with and then we bring that together to commission them for specific opportunities.
0: In a way it's fun to imagine the team down in the tunnels of the tube with hard hats on sussing out their next location but I have a feeling that's not quite how it happens. It's
1: not far from the truth. Um, we we do spend a lot of time in stations you know we, we have stations where we Historically, have spaces which is important to us because of course there's a lot going on the tube. You might have um, you know, advertising, commercial spaces, safety information. So you know we we've we've got competition as it were for for spaces. So yeah.
0: we've got some that we sort of reliably have, but yes, we're always on the lookout for new spaces or new opportunities. But no matter how big the underground is, there's limited space and other environmental considerations. We've discussed a few works that are permanent, but many of the projects the team works on are temporary.
1: We are working with artists to commission a real breadth of projects for Londoners, so that could, and often these are temporary projects. There might be works that are commissioned and displayed for six months or for 12 months, all at different stations all around the network, as well as video work or live performance and large-scale permanent projects that we're doing across London Underground.
0: So you mentioned some works that are, um, I guess, in, in permanent collections, like the sculpture and that sort of thing. Do you do you find that anything that you have in a permanent collection tends to be affixed to a station or some way integrated into that station's design? Well, yes. I guess in terms of what
1: art do we sort of own, there is that which is physically part of our of the buildings of the underground, and you can see that. Yes, those early Jacob Epstein works. We we finished an amazing project with the French conceptual artist Daniel Bourin in 2017, and there's an amazing new work at um, Court Road Station in the, in the newer spaces called Diamonds and Circles. So you can see there, there's physically, the work is integrated within the station. So we may commission projects that involve, a, say, a painted work, and we can't put paintings in stations due to their They would be um, really damaged by the dust and the air. And we wouldn't fit with very strict controls around fire regulation and material compliance that, that we operate within. So there'll be a version of the work which is there for the people and maybe in a safe and approved substance. But that, that is the work to me because that is what we've commissioned the artists to create, to engage with the, the millions of people that are passing through it.
0: If you encounter a larger work, like an installation at Gloucester Road Station, it's fairly easy to recognise that as a commission by Art on the Underground. But there are other places to find collaborations that you may not think about. You may even have one on you now.
1: I so suppose in a way it's maybe the site that we consistently reprogram, which is the front of the tube map. So at the moment about that the tube map gets republished every six months to take into account any changes or any closures of stations, step access all that kind of critical information for for customers. But on the front, we commission an artist to create a work. Um, uh, and so really, it's in some ways, a small work on paper or a small, um, which people can then hold in their hands. And I love the the commission that's the front of the tube map, because it is something where we're putting literally putting the works of renowned artists into the hands of millions of people. And we publish at the moment, we've been publishing about 12 million of those tube maps each time it's produced. So in terms of numbers, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest artist commissions an artist can get. And we've um, had some amazing works over the years. That, that started in 2003, and we are up to our 29th artist.
0: Past designers of the tube map covers include Tracy Emin, Barbara Kruger, Cornelia Parker, and Yinka Shonabare. The current design is by Linder, who also spent four months as artist-in-residence mapping out the vertical history of Southwark and has a billboard piece on view at Southwark Station until October 2019. Each cover is so unique, with artists taking their own approach to how to make the most of their pocket-sized canvas. There's
1: a very physical instruction, uh, a sort of rather physical constraint instruction when we do the tube map cover because of its small size um it's um so it's very obviously important that it fits within the dimensions um of the map and that it has the key information on it which is so that the public can pick it up which is that it says tube map at the top and it has a sort of blue blue border and the date on it so that's and the the logo so that's really important obviously as a so that people know what it is they're picking up. And within that we then allow artists a space to work and create their idea. You'll you'll see often artists have used the colours of the tube maps. So the the colours of the tube lines to create works. We've in recent years, you know, encourage people to think about how it relates to the tube possibly conceptually. So there's, you know, there can be quite a variety of responses because I think that's really important to keep the map this commission fresh, you know, We've worked now with 29 different artists on it, so it may be a sort of conceptual link. Pablo Bronstein, a great artist, did a, a sort of wonderful carriage clock almost drawing with a tube tunnel that was the base of the clock, so again taking a very sort of um, draftsman-like approach to the idea of the tunnel and passing through time.
0: It makes you want to pay more attention when you pick up a map. And now I wish I'd been like collecting them over the years or something. Yeah,
1: I really recommend collecting them actually. We have um it's a really sort of nice memento to have and we have people who email us, you know, from around the world where we bring out the new tube map to say, Can you send it to me or make sure that I pick that one up? So they're, they're a real I mean, and there'll be, you'll have favourites amongst them, some of them which you love, some of them which you're like, eh, what's that about? And that's what I love about it. it, is that and for everyone that's different. So there is no one design that everyone says, that, that's my favourite, you know, it's always different. And that's the joy, I think, of reminding people that when you're doing working with contemporary art commissions, it's always something unexpected.
0: There's another Easter egg I love that I've always been curious about and I was excited to learn from Eleanor that a mysterious sign found in every tube station is actually part of an art series.
1: We did a great work in 2013 from the artist Mark Wallinger, and it's called Labyrinth and there's in fact one in every single tube station on the underground. So for anyone saying, well, is there any artwork in my station? There will be, if it's a London underground station, you will have a labyrinth somewhere. And it's a small enamel panel.
0: I've seen a, those.
1: Yeah, yeah. With like a black maze on it with a red cross. What the, is that? Well, there you go. You see, it's, um, it's an artwork. So it's an artwork by Mark Wallinger, a really wonderful British artist. And it was commissioned in 2013 to mark 150 years of the, of the tube. And it's a lab. So a labyrinth is a lot like a maze, but there's a, there's a crucial difference that a labyrinth there's only one route route through it there are no choices you just have to follow from the start from the outside to the inside and in all cultures around the world labyrinths have kind of grown up as a, as a symbol as a symbolic idea from um, early European cultures Asian cultures early cultures in the Americas there's been this idea around the concept of the labyrinth and you'll see in kind of Christian culture, and it's often used as a, uh, as a standing for doing a pilgrimage, that you walk through a labyrinth as a sort of contemplative act. So when Mark Wallinger was thinking of a symbol that he wanted to hit upon, to I, that idea of journeying, of travelling, the labyrinth to him was a really wonderful kind of simple symbol. So every single one is different, and they're all numbered, so they'll say a number out of 270. So your station might say 55 out of 270. And they'll all be somewhere where you can go up and touch them. So if you want to work your way through the labyrinth, you can go and do that. And it's interesting that you've seen them around but you don't know what they are, because that was really important to Mark. He so didn't want them to have a little explanatory note next to them. Because they're permanent works, so he wants them to become part of the kind of folklore of the underground, that people sort of themselves go and hunt them out or maybe seen them subconsciously and are never quite sure what they are.
0: Well, it looks and- almost like a sign. So I was like Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, is this where I am? This doesn't make sense though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly it looks a lot like a sign because it's also made out of enamel that that the signs are made out of you know so it's playing with the materiality that you're already used to in stations but it's um it's a sort of permanent marker for you to think about about your journey as you're going through so yeah that's always a really great one for people to go and hunt out and we have people who spend their weekends photographing every single labyrinth on the network um, wow ticking off all 270 of them and Getting frustrated if one of them is hidden because we've had to do some building works in the station or something. So yeah, it's a. But I think that's a really interesting mark of a of a public artwork as well when it belongs to the people. You know, that's that's what should happen.
0: A few years ago, Art on the Underground introduced themes to tie works together across stations and to create an artistic dialogue within the communities in which these works exist. The team have a long lead time of around two and a half years to ensure that they can work around artist schedules and their own programming aims.
1: If people have been travelling through Brixton, we started using Brixton as a site, as a brilliant site to show art in 2016. But at the end of last year, we launched a sort of sub curatorial exploration for that area, which links to the idea of the Brixton murals and how we might consider contemporary responses to muralism. So People who might know sort of the history of Brixton or South London in the eighties, there was obviously a period in that at that time of race riots, quite a lot of um, complex social interrelations, and after that there was this burgeoning scene for creating community murals, and you see that supported by what was then the GLC, the Greater London Council, but also Lambeth, the borough that it's in, was a had one of the greatest um, concentration of murals in that area. So we thought it would be really fascinating to respond to that, to those um, historic murals by asking artists who we think have a, have something to say now about the ideas of representation or collective memory that maybe form that part of, of what a mural is. So we have a brilliant work that was launched in 2018 by the Nigerian American artist Andrew Decker Crosby, which shows a sort of gathered internal domestic scene in, in a Brixton house, a, a family gathered together, um, the sort of children and grandchildren of the Windrush generation. It's a beautiful, very complex work with lots of um, historic points of Brixton in the background through photos that she uses, what she calls photo transfers. But also around that we've produced a sort of uh, mural map that points to those historic murals around Brixton. So we're sort of expanding out there and people can hopefully people who want to can find more and more out about the local area. And we're going to continue that theme of asking artists to explore the idea of muralism over the next two years.
0: This year's wider annual theme examines thoughts and feelings around the UK's impending departure from the EU.
1: So our theme for 2019 is the idea of being on edge, uh, which I think we're feeling a bit at the moment. There's a lot of change going on, we're kind of edging towards an uncertain future and within that we're thinking how You know, edges can mean a lot of different things, um, but they can mean borders, they can mean who's overlooked, who's unprotected, who's not seen, who's not heard, who's maybe lost in translation between two different uh, understandings, and how artists might kind of find utopian ideas amongst that. So we've got a really exciting year, starting with um, Elisa Nissenbaum doing a project at Brixton Station, which will be a mural up um, at the station entrance. We've got wonderful French artist Laura Provost doing a project for us this summer, where she'll be making amazing signs and symbols that will be appearing all over the underground from east to west. uh, We've got uh, a brilliant um, British artist, Denzel Forrester, who will be doing a second work for us at Brixton towards the end of the year. Denzel was born in Grenada, but grew up in the UK and has made the most amazing paintings from the kind of 80s era onwards around. What was going on in London then and reflecting on it now. And Larry Akiampong, who is a, a brilliant um, British artist as well, will be doing a project for us in the autumn at Westminster Station. Um, he often explores ideas around kind of Afro future, thinking around um, African utopian models of how we might create a better world for ourselves. So I think, I hope people will see lots of exciting, unusual things this year as they're traveling about
0: imagine being a curator or project manager in an environment where you have five million opportunities for someone to interact with your work each day it sounds like a phenomenal way to get people engaging with art it's amazing how transport
1: for London has you know supported us over the long term you know we're part of transport for London because you have to you have to have quite a lot of trust to bring in contemporary artists you have to trust that something mm. amazing will come out but you won't be able to anticipate necessarily what that is and that is a real you know that's to me, when public art works well, you know, when, it, when it's successful, when it's got that trust of the organization around it, that if you hold faith, amazing things will happen.
0: Thanks for tuning in today and finding out a little bit more about art on the underground. Hopefully next time you're out doing your travels in London, you'll take a second look around and see what art you can spot. If you'd like to see more images from the discussion today, head over to ArtUK.org where I'll be linking out to more information and also have a few images for you to look through that accompany this episode. As always, thank you for joining me and please tune in next time.